Welcome, one and all, to Eagle Auto Parts on the Go podcast. You're there. I'm here. I'm the host, DJ Harrington, better known as the Cardiologist. Eagle Auto Parts podcast comes to you each week to inform, educate, and bring you tips on keeping your vehicle in top-notch condition. Now, today's a kind of a special edition. You have listened to Sheila Harrington, my better half. Last Christmas, our listeners heard a great Christmas story. We did a Labor Day presentation. Sheila did an outstanding July 4th. And Doug Williams, the general manager of Eagle, was kind enough to say, Sheila, our listeners really want to know about Thanksgiving. So, Sheila, I want to say first, thank you for doing this. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Looking forward to discussing Thanksgiving. Well, let me go. (laughs) Doug Williams loves the way you do this, so I'll start off. And the listeners that are are tuning in today to this episode, I want them to know Sheila and I have been married many, many years. And when she started doing these things, she just adds to it. So let's start this off, Sheila. You're about to talk about one of my favorite holidays, which is Thanksgiving, and it's coming up in a week. And I can't wait, to be honest with you, with all the grandchildren and so forth. But many of us learned about the first Thanksgiving feast in school. So give our listeners some background what brought about this special holiday. Well, there was a term, and I thank you for letting me talk about Thanksgiving. There was a term, and it and it's called Thanksgivings. In other words, the word Thanksgiving with an S on the end, Thanksgivings. And the colonists in New England and Canada, even prior to the 1600s, particularly in the late 1500s, the colonists in New England and Canada, even even when they crossed the ocean, they would do thanksgivings for things such as they had safe travel, mercies, or maybe they had a military victory or an abundant harvest. They would sit down and call those thanksgivings, and they would celebrate with the festival. So as those were done through the years, Americans have modeled their Thanksgiving holiday on a 1621 feast, harvest feast that was shared between the English colonists that landed in America and the Wampanoag tribe. Now, the Wampanoag tribe was a tribe comprised of about five or so local Indian tribes, but the term Thanksgivings really goes back even further than that. So that's uh, what we're going to talk about today. Boy, oh boy. Now, let me ask you, since Thanksgiving wasn't really being celebrated nationally on a specific day, and usually takes somebody in authority to make the national holiday, what president took a stand on making Thanksgiving a national holiday? Well, there are several presidents that did throughout the years, but the first one, believe it or not, to to make any move toward that was President George Washington. He made a proclamation on October the 3rd in 1789, and he designated Thursday, November 27th in 1789, as a National Day of Thanks. That's what he called it, a National Day of Thanks. 
And even though everyone had celebrated Thanksgiving after that for almost 200 years, again later in 1863 on the same day, October the 3rd, during the midst of the Civil War, so you can imagine how all that was, President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed it a national holiday. So Lincoln went a little further, but he named it Thanksgiving Day, and it was to be held each November. Now, I don't know that there was a specific date at that point with uh, Lincoln, but anyway, Congress later approved the fourth Thursday of the month of November to celebrate Thanksgiving Day. I got you. Well, let me ask you one more question before we take our break. I would like to hear more about the the long, hard journey of the Pilgrims. What was it like traveling aboard the Mayflower? I remember that and from school, the Mayflower. But do you have any idea how many people were on the Mayflower? Yes, we do. Uh, I have uh, had uh, several people throughout uh, the research that I've done say exactly the same amount of people. When the Mayflower left Plymouth, England, because that's where they left from on September in 1620, they traveled by ship almost two months. I can't imagine being on a ship like that for two months. And of course, it wouldn't have been anything like what we'd be on if we went on a cruise this year now. But they crossed 3,000 miles of open ocean. And there were about 102 people, uh, passengers on that ship. It included three uh, women who were, who were uh, pregnant and more than a dozen children. Now, Everyone was squeezed. I can't imagine this, but they were squeezed below the decks in a crowded, cold, and damp area. And obviously, there was no air conditioning. There was, uh, and of course, at that point, it was September. They were going through the winter months, so it was very cold, very damp, and there was a lot of crippling bouts of seasickness, as you can imagine, and of course, diseases and people got sick. So the passengers were an assortment of religious um, people. Separatists seeking a new home where they could really be free to practice their faith like they wanted to. And while other individuals were lured by the promise of prosperity and maybe having some new land in a new world, it was really a treacherous and uncomfortable crossing that really lasted 66 days. So when they dropped anchor near the tip of Cape Cod, they really were a little bit farther north of where they intended to stop at, and they their destination was the mouth of the Hudson River. And it wasn't until about a month later, on November the 11th, 1621, that the Mayflower actually crossed what we know today as Massachusetts Bay, where the Pilgrims, as they are commonly known, began the work of really establishing a village at Plymouth. So the Puritans... Um, you may recognize that name too. The Puritans arrived soon after and brought with them a tradition of providential holidays. And what the providential holidays were, days of fasting during difficult or pivotal moments, and then they had days of feasting, a celebration to thank God in times of plenty. So I'm, I'm sure you know, I'm going to talk about a quote that this particular person has, and I'm sure you know who he is, Newt Gingrich. Um, he uh, big in Georgia. For our listeners, Newt is a former Speaker of the House, and he's a wonderful historian. I really trust that what he says is, is true because he knows the stuff. 
Here's what Newt the Gingrich said. These pilgrims agreed on how this new settlement would be governed. Their historic covenant began, and get this, in the name of God, amen. Today, we know this agreement as the Mayflower Compact. I guess, I, I kind of missed that in my history, history class, and maybe they didn't go over it very well, but thank you, Newt Gingrich, for that piece of information, because I really appreciate that. But the Mayflower Compact came out of that. Well, boy. Well, let's do this, listeners. I know you want to hear more about Newt Gingrich, because in our basement, we have a picture of Newt Gingrich finding a, a nice note to Sheila. But let's take a break, and we'll be right back. Eagle Auto Part is located in the eastern panhandle of West Virginia. The Eagle team is becoming the most recognized name in the recycling industry, serving not only West Virginia, but also Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Virginia. Eagle Auto Part inventory is computerized, racked, and ready for immediate pickup. Or choose our fast delivery service. With a very active presence on eBay, we have several distribution shipments daily. Eagle Auto Part processes all of our vehicles in the most professional manner, which ensures the quality of all of our parts sold. What can we do for you? Visit us on the web at eagleautopart.com or call 800-261-6664. That's 800-261-6664. Or send us an email at sales at eagleautopart.com. You have been listening to Eagle Auto Parts on the Go podcast. Each and every week, we bring you a new informative episode. Make sure you download and listen. We're available on Spotify, iTunes, Pandora, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartMedia, or wherever you get your podcast. Remember to like and share everywhere, and we sure appreciate each and every listener. Okay. Now, before we took our break, I was a little confused. So you referred to the Puritans and the Pilgrims. Now, I thought the ship left Plymouth, England, with a group of pilgrims that landed in Plymouth Colony with pilgrims. Where did these Puritans come from? Well, the, the many Americans think that the pilgrims and the Puritans are the same person, that you're talking about the same people. So I guess I need to briefly explain why we call them pilgrims and Puritans. The Puritans did not come over on the Mayflower with the original pilgrims on the Mayflower. The Puritans came over later sailing on another ship. So here's the difference between the two groups, the pilgrims and the Puritans. The pilgrims came to America for an opportunity to practice their own religion, and they wanted to really build a new life for themselves and their family. So they had high aspirations of what they were going to find, and, and hopefully they were going to be able to start a new life. Now, the Puritans had another reason for coming to America. They wanted to reform the beliefs of the Church of England. So they thought that there would needed to be some changes, and when they got to America, they wanted to, that's what their focus was. And then they wanted to spread those new reforms that they changed across the rest of the world. And many people, many Americans, think that the pilgrims were kind of stuffy, um, unhappy, plain people who wore 
you know, drab-looking clothes, black hat, collared, uh, squared collars, and, and buckled shoes. And it was pictured, and we get that idea from a picture by Edward Winslow. And he, he did a portrait in 1651, and it shows, and I'm sure a lot of us have seen it, you see the men and the women going on a hunt, it looks like, through the forest, and they're all wearing black and white, okay? Dressing in black kind of reminds me, though, DJ, of our granddaughter, Haley. Do you remember Haley's first-grade Thanksgiving production? <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> she was cute, but I think that was just like the second time she was performing Haley was dressed, I want to tell our listeners, Haley was dressed in a long black dress with a white square collar and wore a white cap like a nurse's cap on her head. When it was her time, I get this, I'm the grandpa, when it's her time to speak at the microphone, Haley, she says her line so fast. It goes, she goes, it was also time to be thankful for the people that we love and good things in our lives. And then she hurriedly runs away from the microphone, not like her grandpa. She certainly wasn't dressed in bright colored outfit either, Sheila. But it was fast, and it was so sweet. She, she wore that black and white just as most of us think the pilgrims wore, and she surely was a cute little pilgrim, but... I must add that pilgrims really wore everything from green to red and orange. In fact, one of the little uh, research uh, things that I looked at, it even said petticoats could have even been purple. But what they did is they limited their choices based on the natural dyes that they could find uh, around. So whatever they could find is what the colors were of the clothing. So the pilgrims really love their colors as much as we do today. It's just we, we we see them as black and white. I gotcha. All right. So tell our listeners a little bit about what happened to the pilgrims arrived at Plymouth, but I doubt they had good or warm place to live. What happened there? Well, it was brutal that first winter. Um, they obviously didn't, uh, they arrived in September. They didn't have much time to plan for anything or create anything for them to live in. So basically they remained on board the ship where they eventually suffered from the winter exposure. Scurvy was bad and outbreaks of the contagious diseases, but they, because they really couldn't build anything. So that's really what happened. So. Due to that, in those circumstances, about half of the Mayflower original passengers and the crew didn't live past that winter to even see their first New England spring. So, But in March, when things started really warming up, the remaining settlers decided to move ashore, and they were greeted, and they were actually kind of shocked uh, from a, by a member uh, who showed up uh, he was a member of a tribe, Abenaki tribe, and I hope I'm saying that right. And, he, and actually, he greeted them in English, and they were shocked about that. So that was pretty cool. It was. Let's take a break, listeners. And with that little note, that'll keep you in suspense to come back and listen to the rest of the story. We'll take one final break, and we'll come back to learn more surprises about the first Thanksgiving. 
Slow down. Slow down and move over. Move over. When you see signs. Lights. Vests. Please, give us some room. Slow down. Slow down and move over. When you need help. It's our job. To help you. To save you. Despite the danger. This danger. This danger is real. Do your part. Please. Slow down. Slow down. And move over. Move over. Welcome back, listeners. And please, if you like what Sheila's saying today, let us know. Dial 706-409-5603. That's the hotline here at the podcast center. And let us know. We are happy. And I thank each and every one of you for being a good listener. Now, Sheila, if you'd be kind enough, tell us a little bit some of the surprises to see one person greet them and to speak English, of course, the Shakura when they first got to the land. Was this group that was the first Thanksgiving meal, is that who they shared it with? Well, not quite. Several days later, this particular native returned with another Native American, and that uh, uh, tribal member's name was Squanto. Squanto was actually a member of the Pawtuxet tribe, and Squanto, his, his background was he had been kidnapped by an English sea captain, and he was sold into slavery before escaping to London. But um, but he eventually, because there was an exploratory expedition that was going to take back, place back to America, he was able to get on that expedition and return to his homeland. So he had already been across the ocean and had come back. So Swanto felt sorry for these pilgrims. They were weakened by malnutrition and illnesses and he, he felt like he needed to teach them how to cultivate corn, and so he went, he just did it. He taught them how to till, till the ground for the corn, how to get fat from a tree, um, how to catch fish in the rivers and avoid poisonous plants, because that was important. So he really helped the settlers forge an alliance with the Wampanoag people, which was that local group of indigenous tribes. So over the next year, they worked very hard. Uh, to try to get a harvest done to provide food and housing. And on November the, the, in 1621, a year later, after the Pilgrims' first harvest proved to be successful, their, their now governor, William Bradford, he organized a celebratory feast so that he wanted him to celebrate, and he invited a bunch of, of the fledgling colonies' Native American allies, including this Wampanoag chief, to eat with them. So that is the feast that we know now today as the first Thanksgiving. Although the pilgrims themselves may not have used the term at the time, the festival lasted for days. All right, let's do this. I want to know what happened during the first Thanksgiving. What, and the big question is, what did they eat? Did they enjoy turkey and stuffing and pumpkin pie like we do? Well, you might be a little disappointed. They did eat a little bit of that, but there really is no record of the exact first Thanksgiving menu. So much of what we know about the first Thanksgiving really comes from journals from people that were there. And one of them is that Edward Winslow, who did that one portrait. He was a pilgrim chronicler, and here's what he, and I'm paraphrasing here what he said. The governor sent four men to hunt for fowl for enough to last everyone, some 90 men, whom for three days 
we entertained with firearms, feasted and went out and killed five deer, and maybe not always plentiful, it was enough for a week. It is not always so plentiful as it was currently with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. So again, uh, my friend Newt Gingrich says that the meal was chronicled by, a, by Pilgrim William Bradford. Now, he's the governor of this particular colony. Here's what Bradford said in his journal. A great store of wild turkeys which were shared between the pilgrims and the Native Americans who live in the Plymouth Rock area. It's not a lot of details, but it does say that they probably came upon a group of turkeys and were able to, to get some, some of that. But, DJ, this sounds more normal to us because of many of us do eat turkey at Thanksgiving. But, however, other historians have suggested that some of the dishes that were served that day were likely prepared using traditional Native American spices. And so they would have used their own cooking methods as well because, you know, really the pilgrims had no oven and the Mayflower sugar supply had already dwindled by the fall of 1621. So we doubt the meal featured any pies, cakes, or desserts like we know today. And But one thing I will note, I, I read in one of them that they also partook took in lobster, seal, and swan. Now, I can't imagine the seals and swans. And I love lobster, but seal and swan, I, that wouldn't have been something I would have seen on, on my Thanksgiving table. I got you. Well, since we're almost done, tell our listeners, when did the first Thanksgiving become a national holiday? In 1941, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he signed the Thanksgiving holiday into law. And since that autumn of 1621, this tremendous act of faith and thankfulness has been repeated by millions of people who've come to America to join and participate in our incredible experience, experience in freedom and opportunity. Now, Chilla, our final thought here, your family always gave out a kernel of corn to each person at the Thanksgiving table. I would love you to share with our listeners that custom. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, my dad would pray, and my mom would had already handed out uh, probably two kernels of corn to everyone. It depended on uh, how she felt, I guess, or how much she had available. But anyway, she would give everybody two, usually two kernels of corn to each person sitting at the table. And as we placed each kernel that we had on the table and we would go around the room, we would reveal what person or thing that we were most thankful for during this that year. And uh, sometimes there were tears and sometimes laughter. and uh, sometimes, But it set the mood for a really good meal of Thanksgiving because we really owe it all to God anyway. But Thanksgiving means a lot more than eating turkey or cranberries and pumpkin pie to the American people. And despite the challenges that we have today, or even in the past, we remain blessed to live in the freest, the strongest, and the most prosperous nation on earth. And we have so much for which to be thankful for. Uh, we have our businesses, our employees who help us throughout the year. So 
during this holiday season, DJ, I just want to stress to all the listeners to thank people, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your business uh, partners and clients for what all they do for us. And DJ, I wish everyone a happy and blessed Thanksgiving and don't burn the turkey. Now you're talking. And Doug Williams and all the people at Eagle Auto Parts is going to love this podcast. Until next time, listeners, have a great Thanksgiving, and we'll see you on the next episode.